Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nowhere Podcast. Technology is constantly running in the background of our lives, yet for most of us, it's invisible. On Nowhere, we explore the intended and unintended influences that geospatial technology has on the real world. These are the stories of how geospatial tech unexpectedly affects our lives. I'm Jonathan Neufeld, and my guest today is Matt Lowe, CEO of ZeroKey. Hey, Matt. Hey, John. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for being here today. I'm glad to get the chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've got a deep background in technology, and we're going to talk about your company, ZeroKey. But I want to start off by knowing how you got into the tech industry and a little bit about your background. Sure, sure. Well, I started in software basically since I could walk. So one of, one of those that was coding at home, I had quick basic books instead of uh, drawing books right from a young age. Spent a lot of time you know, in the, uh, say, early 90s, really just kind of getting into it, developed a real passion for, for software development and kind of what you could do with it. And that kind of blossomed into a career kind of post-university. And at one point, I had been fairly entrepreneurial, doing my own thing on the IT side of life and decided, well, I had this awesome idea for technology and saw that, uh, you know, tech startups were, were the cool and fun thing to do and decided might as well make a go of it. You know, we're really passionate, too, about the, the technology and, and like what we could do with particular technology, in this case, an indoor location system, and just kind of how much that could change the way we interact with, with like computers or machines or anything like that. So we really started, uh, or at least uh, I started with my co-founder, really with a kind of idea of how things could be different, how things could be better, and made the, the pivot just kind of leaving behind the smaller scale kind of traditional entrepreneurial route and going to a uh, high growth tech route. And uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And your company, Zero Key, has grown substantially over the last couple of years. And I know you've landed some major contracts with a few industrial firms that we'll get into in a little bit. You mentioned indoor positioning, and I know that's the core of what you're doing at Zero Key. And I think for a lot of people, when they think about indoor positioning, they think about finding themselves in a mall or a hospital or something like that, that personal navigation side of things. But your company takes a different approach to that, right? You focus on other types of customers. So maybe give our listeners a bit of an overview of how indoor positioning works, and then we'll get into who those customers are and, and what's going on with, it, with that technology. Yeah, no, you're totally right. I think a lot of people, when they think of location or indoor location, the first thing that pops up is like Google Maps or you know maybe navigating in a mall, as you said. But really, what we're doing is location on a whole different scale. You know, we want to know precisely where things are in 3D space so that computer systems or digital systems can then understand what is actually happening in these real world environments. So, you know, this could be like a factory, for example. Where are the tools? Where are the parts? Where are the widgets that you're building? And then where are they in relation to each other so that you can actually monitor process, track material flow, do analytics of physical processes, which right now really isn't possible. So we're, we're digitizing where things are down to 1.5 millimeters. So extremely precise, you know, totally different scale than, for example, GPS, which is a couple of meters of accuracy in a good case. And that's outdoors, not indoors. Or like Bluetooth, which is like a meter of accuracy. Um, so we're, you know, a couple orders of magnitude more accurate. And that's our, our bread and butter. Our big differentiator is that we're very, very precise. We function really well in these industrial environments with lots of noise. You know, you've often got like die presses, injection molding machines, tools of all sorts, impact wrenches, like everything under the sun generating potential source of interference. And that's actually where we, we thrive the most. That's phenomenal. And when people think about factories, they're very busy places, right? There's lots going on, there's machines, there's noise, there's dust. And even through all of that, you're able to locate 
machines and objects up to, did you say 1.5 millimeters? Yeah, that's right, 1.5 millimeters. And so kind of the easiest way, like to get the big picture view, it's kind of like stepping into the matrix, if you remember that movie. You know, in the matrix, you kind of know where everything is. And so remember there's scenes where Neo was like followed by these agents and they immediately knew where he was and they would just, you know, follow him around the, the world. Well, in a real world, we don't know where anything is. You know, if you think what a digital platform understands of a factory today, it's basically nothing. You know, you, you understand maybe there's some machinery that's connected. So you might like know things like spindle speed or, you know, is it doing a process right now or not? Sure. And at best, maybe a process diagram, right? You know, these three things happen, then something else happens, then something else happens. But we don't know where that goes on. Exactly. Exactly. So we're kind of lighting up these factories. So now everything comes into focus. Now you see everything at every intermediate step along the way. And so you're actually able to track individual processes, individual tasks as they go from, you know, 0% completion to 5% completion all the way till they're finished. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with factories, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about what the factory of today looks like. You know, I suspect many people hold a very old-fashioned notion of what factories are and people on an assembly line. Can you give our, our listeners a sense of what a factory today looks like so that we can fit in that precise positioning piece? Sure. To be totally honest, the industry as a whole is not exactly the same. So you will find factories that have not changed since the 60s. And then you'll find other factories that are highly automated, roboticized, you know, that have autonomous vehicles driving material through the environments. So there, there's actually a spectrum of, you know, what factories look like. In all cases, when it comes to, you know, particularly human elements, you don't really have really good understanding of what they're doing. Usually, the way we control kind of the human aspect of an assembly process is actually with another human that monitors them, usually an industrial engineer of sorts with a clipboard and, and maybe a stopwatch or something. And so that's actually state of the art, even in some of the most advanced factories in the world. And so that's really the opportunity is anytime you get you get these dynamic processes where you've got things moving through the environment, you know, usually controlled by humans, guided by humans, or some sort of manual process, that's where there's an opportunity to say, we can digitize this. Now we can understand it in a digital platform. We can run analytics on that process, understand where the bottlenecks are. Maybe we can even use that information as a control system itself to say, okay, there's a, you know, maybe a pallet of material moving towards our assembly line. Now we can actually identify that before the material gets there, advance notice the assembly line and say, hey, get ready to receive this material, get ready to go. So you don't have this stop, start, stop, start, you know, that, that is typical of common modern assembly lines today. Right. It's interesting that with all the technology, the weak spot is still the humans and knowing what the humans <laughs> are doing and, and how they're operating. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't actually call it a weak spot. It's a strong spot in, in the sense that humans are actually better than machines at complex control tasks. But what we're not good at is telling machines what's going on. So as soon as you have this handoff from maybe an automated or roboticized process to a manual human process, then maybe back to an automated process, those handoff points, those interfaces, that's where things really slow down because you actually have to take a human and type something into a computer, or use a tablet, something of that nature to say, okay, now you take over. And so it's it's really those in-between steps that are you know the, the difficult ones. And you find hybrid assembly lines across the world have this problem. And you know, generally this means, okay, we just add additional buffers to the assembly line. Mm -hmm. So instead of handing off and doing a just-in-time manufacturing process, you actually end up having a queued process. And that tends to be problematic because when you get long queues, 
especially in assembly lines, which run linearly, you just get a backup across the entire assembly line if things start to get delayed or slow down. And so there's a lot of, I guess, wasted time and uh, a lot of additional expense that we really don't need because we're just not running optimally. We're not running efficiently. Right. And I think it's interesting to talk about efficiency and and optimization, especially in a geospatial context. So what we like exploring on this show is how geospatial technology is is running in the background and affecting people's lives on a daily basis. And and obviously, many of the things that people use every day are built and created in factories and and a result of of that large-scale manufacturing process. Now, I know you've done some work with large automotive clients. Are there stories you can share from your engagement there about how being able to know to the millimeter where things are within their factory has made a difference for them? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, we work with a lot of the world's largest automotive manufacturers. And, you know, I assume most of the listeners at home own vehicles made by these companies. So definitely it impacts their lives on a day-to-day basis. But when you think about what goes into manufacturing a vehicle, it's a very complex process. And talking to a lot of these industrial engineers, they say things like, you know, running a wiring harness through a car chassis will never be a roboticized process because it's so dynamic. It requires so much dexterity that it's going to be basically driven by humans for, you know, as far as they can see down the road. And it's these types of things, though, that where it's important to be able to track and optimize that right now we're just completely blind to how those processes go or are carried out on the assembly line. So in those areas, though, like you can think of, you know, uh, as you build a car, there's a million different bolts. There's a million different steps to assemble this. And and a car is really an assembly of thousands of sub-assemblies. And those all have to be built in a very specific order in a very specific fashion. Mm -hmm. And traditionally, you'd have, you know, some vehicles that unfortunately are built with mistakes and and then they fail in the field. Uh, So that happens quite a bit. Uh, You'll have vehicles that are built incorrectly, but then at a quality check process, you know, maybe down the line of the assembly line will get detected and then those will get fixed or they'll scrap the vehicle. The advantage of having this real-time understanding of exactly how things are built is that you actually now detect the errors in real time. So, mm-hmm. so if, the, if the wrong bolt goes into the wrong hole, they can tell right away. Immediately, yeah. And so instead of having to correct it 20 steps down the line, you actually correct it right then and there as the mistake is happening or maybe even before the mistake is happening. So we actually have a use case where we're tracking where the workers are, which bin they're going to, to pick the part for the vehicle that's coming down the assembly line. And if they go to the wrong bin, we can actually tell them right then and there, you've got the wrong part. Oh, wow. So not only do you know where the the parts are, but you know where the workers' hands are. Exactly, yeah. So we have different form factors, and one of the form factors is a wristband tracker, and that allows them to then track the hands as they interact with the parts and the widgets. That's incredible. And I imagine this sort of geospatial technology has cut down on mistakes and mismanufacturing. Absolutely. So that's that's the big ROI for the clients is being able to reduce or increase the yield of production, reduce the time and cost to manufacture vehicles and tying those all together seamlessly. So you've got data driven analysis and approaches to your manufacturing. So absolutely cuts down on the errors as well. You know, there's a benefit to the end user, too. You know, there's a lot of processes in manufacturing that there's no real way to do a quality check on. So Mm -hmm. just as an example, one of the big things we do is a sequencing use case. Sometimes when you sequence things, like say you're attaching a flange, actually a flywheel to an engine would be a good example. Oftentimes there's, you know, a series of 10 plus bolts and they have to be torqued in a cross-torque fashion so that, Mm -hmm. you know, the flywheel is not askew from the engine, from the crankshaft. And as a result, though, when the person goes and he does the torquing of all those bolts, there's actually no way to quality check that afterwards. 
after they're torqued and after it's down. So there's no way to know if they torque the bolts in the correct order. Right. And so, unfortunately, you, you do get sometimes vehicles or, or things that are made that make it out actually into the market that have this error. And then those can fail in the field. I mean, you could be driving down a highway or something like that and it fails. And so using this technology actually reduces those errors because we track exactly which bolt they've gone to in real time. We're the only technology in the world that can do this. We track that in real time. We validate it in real time. And then you have that confidence. You, you have confidence that this is built correctly and that can no longer fail in the field, at least not in that way. Right. I mean, that's phenomenal because, as you said, there's all sorts of processes within these really complex factories that, that can't be checked visually or you know, with, with a torque detector of some kind. Exactly. That sort of quality helps make it better for everybody all the way through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm surprised, again, that you can measure it that accurately in such a, a noisy and chaotic environment. Yeah, so the reason we can do that in our big differentiators, we actually use ultrasound as the fundamental mechanism for locating where things are. So you can think of it similar to how bats navigate in the dark. You know, they'll emit ultrasonic pulse and then they'll listen for reflections of that and that tells them, you know, what's around them. Now, our system is, you know, a lot more mechanical and engineered, but we use ultrasound from trackers and we emit specifically coded pulse and we pick that up with infrastructure in the environment. And that tells us, you know, exactly where that device is after we do a whole bunch of heavy math and stuff in the background. Of course, yeah. We use that as the main mechanism for localizing where things are. Now, the reason that we can get to such a high degree of accuracy as you're talking about is because we're using sound instead of something like a radio signal or light, which travels extremely fast versus sound travels extremely slow. Mm -hmm. that, that slowness actually works in our favor. So errors in measuring how long that signal takes to get from point A to point B actually is a very small percentage of the overall error when we're talking about a slow speed signal like sound versus if you have a speed of light signal and you're off by a nanosecond, that's a very big That's distance. a substantial amount. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amazing. So now we have this geospatial technology inside a factory being used for quality control, sequencing, process automation, You know, uh, even watching over the humans that are doing some of the work. What do you see as coming next? So as you project this technology out, how is it going to affect you know, factories and, and manufacturing in the next, you know, say, three to five years? Well, we're already starting to see some of that now. You know, we're talking with a lot of companies, and this is not necessarily in what I would say our commercial business, but more on like the emerging technology side of our business, where now we're getting companies like manufacturers of autonomous vehicles that want to leverage our positioning system for navigation in these environments. So we're actually seeing kind of like this snowball effect where now that you've got this fundamental capability in a factory or in a warehouse, you can start to use it for multiple use cases. You know, it's not just tracking things on the assembly line, it's tracking your supply chain. It's uh, enabling these robotics that are themselves now moving around the, the environment. So there's actually like kind of this force multiplier effect that's happening because we have this fundamental understanding now of what's going on in the environment. Sure. So once you know where things are inside, it lets you then move to the next step and begin to move your robotics around or optimize what else is going on. Exactly. It opens up so many, so many more doors for you. Yeah. And so it's very much an enabling technology in that sense. And just like, you know, GPS enabled everything from Uber to Tinder. I mean, they're completely opposite <laughs> things, but enabled by geospatial data, right? Right. I should call up the founder of Tinder next and see if he'd come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see why he wouldn't. Exactly. 
So we've talked a fair bit about the automotive side of things and the way that it's being used in automotive factories. I'm curious how else this technology is being deployed into other settings. Yeah, so I, I think a lot of environments have the same problem, maybe a, a different use case and different output, but generally like they need to know where things are. Actually, one of the interesting use cases is being able to detect when there are safety hazards arising. So as an example, in a, a warehouse, uh, we have a client that often has an overhead crane that moves really heavy loads, and they want to make sure that load never passes over top of any of their human workers that are on the ground. And unfortunately, they have had incidents in the past, and, and I think actually a couple of deaths in, in some cases. So this is actually a really big issue. And so we they tasked us actually with saying, can we understand where our people are in the environment so that our crane operators can avoid them? Because, you know, a lot of modern cranes are actually not operated from where the load is are operated by remote control, so you can't always see exactly the entire environment. And so in this case, we're able to attach one of our safety badges, the personnel on the ground, and then now the, the crane operator is able to see exactly where everyone is. And if they get close to someone, they also get an alert. And so in that case, we're potentially saving you know a lot of their staff from dangerous situations, potential hazards, or, or worse. Right. That's another interesting use case because it really looks at protecting the individuals who are working in these in these environments and, and making sure they're in these safe positions at all times. Absolutely. So I guess with your millimeter level technology, you'd be able to know you know where the actual crane is, but of course where the boom, the end of the boom, and and whatever load it's carrying, right, in relation to a in relation to a person. Exactly. Exactly. So we could tell exactly where they are. We could set a buffer around it, and if we get close, that that actually triggers an alert for the worker who's about to see that you know, heavy load pass overhead, but also the crane operator. So you've got, you know, right. double notification there. Yeah, and then both people can respond, right, and make this this potentially unsafe situation a little bit more safe for Exactly. Them. And interestingly enough, even when it comes to, you know, the manufacturing use cases, a lot of the of our clients there are also looking at applying that data for agronomic analysis to make sure that the process, the manufacturing process, doesn't put any of their staff in a potentially harmful position for too long, you know, leading to things like back injuries and shoulder injuries and stuff like that. So just as an example, you know, there's only so many minutes per day someone is supposed supposed to be working with their hands over the head, or there's a higher chance that they'll develop, you know, a back injury. And so using the data of uh, the geospatial data of where they are as they're carrying out this process, you can actually have a very precise measurement of what position orientation they're in. Interesting. Yeah, I imagine, we, you know, imagine you'd be able to, you know, use a badge to know perhaps where their center of mass is or where their heart is, and then something on the wrist to know where their arms are and, and understand, are they in a safe position and how much time have they been spending there? Almost like the old radiation detectors from back in the right. 50s, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so there's a lot of ways that this is done today in a very manual sense and, and like a lot of standard methods that they use to, to determine this. But it's, again, comes back to a clipboard and stopwatch approach. This now allows you to, to look at data in a much more detailed, data-driven approach. One of the other things I like talking about in the show is the way that uh, our values as a society get encoded into the technology. And, and what I really like about this health and safety application is that we're, we're taking the technology and we're using that to encode this, this value of health and safety right into it, right? With a, a clipboard and a pen, it would be easy for a bit of peer pressure or you know, a bit of smudging to say, 
well, they weren't doing it that long, you know, and, and, and meanwhile, pressure the worker into spending more time in an unsafe situation. But with technology, then they don't have that option. Exactly. And so it leads to better safety all around. Exactly. And that, that's one of, I think, the values of this type of data is it's an objective source of data that tells you exactly what was happening when it happened. And so, as you said, you know, you can't really bend the rules. You, you set the policies as, as they're dictated and as, the, as it makes the most sense for the health of the employee. And then you can leverage that data to, to really determine, you know, basically infallibly, you know, is this policy met? Is this a safe process or procedure or not? Right, yeah. And our team is following the rules that we have set out to make sure that it's a safe workplace. Exactly. As well as then getting feedback on fatigue and longevity and uh, worker performance, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can even take it one step further. You know, there's a lot of instances where you've got lone worker scenarios or people that are working in remote areas or even people that are working in areas but not around other other coworkers and they might have a heart attack and fall to the ground or, you know, they might mm-hmm. break a leg and not, not have a cell phone or, or access to a radio. And so this technology actually allows you to identify things like man down scenarios and potentially then dispatch help or alert a manager uh, instead of that person you know, basically being stuck there for, for a long period of time. Right. And I could see that being really valuable in, again, in these sort of industrial facilities where there might not be a lot of people around or, or it might be loud or chaotic and, and they might not be seen right away. Exactly. Um, that's another good way that the, the values of, of human life and safety are encoded into the technology that you're building. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, Matt. It was great to chat with you today. I appreciate hearing about Zero Key and the way that uh, geospatial technology is being deployed into factories. Likewise, thanks for having me. This was a blast. This is the Nowhere Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Neufeld. You can find Nowhere at NowherePodcast.com, on Twitter at Nowhere underscore pod, and you can find me at John underscore Neufeld. See you later.